G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 with Neil Johnson on Vision. On a Monday, we like to check in with the Australian Christian Lobby and Dan Flynn is Deputy Director of the ACL. Dan's back with us. In fact, just back from a visit to the United States. Dan, a special welcome back to 2020. Well, thank you very much, Neil. It's a pleasure to be back. And uh, yeah, as you say, fresh from the March for Life. Uh, on uh, 20 January uh, in Washington. In Washington, D.C., it's the place where, you know, so many of us will have in our mind uh, the Washington Monument, and uh, there are all sorts of things that have happened historically uh, in that particular uh, plaza area there in Washington, D.C. You were at that pro-life rally. It's called the March for Life. Set the scene for us, Dan. What was just as you're you're there attending and you're observing, you're seeing the speakers, you're seeing the crowds. Give us a bit of an idea what it looked like. Uh, Neil, it, it was an incredibly large march. It was um, I, I would have thought probably the order of 150,000 people. Uh, the Washington Post, who are no you know friends of the pro-life movement, have said that it was larger than last year's march. I think what people would see and what we saw were. Uh, they're predominantly young people, and so I would say, you know, sort of 60% of the people were, you know, certainly under 30, uh, with a very high, um, you know, high number of college students, you know, university-age students, 18 to 25. So, you know, these young people, I think, Neil, are more pro-life than their parents are, and, uh, you know, we heard stories of many buses travelling in from colleges that drive 32 hours, um, you know, bring buses from a, a, a Christian university. Uh, that was commonplace. So uh, it was a terrific event, Neil, very energised by the overturning of Roe versus Wade. And I know your listeners, you've kept them informed that uh, in June of last year, a case of Dodds uh, overturned Roe versus Wade, uh, which had basically sort of kept a clamp on uh, abortion law in the US stating that it was a constitutional right. So that was the decision in 1973. And uh, the Dodds decision last year said, look, we look at the Constitution and actually there is no constitutional right to abortion. So um, that was a major breakthrough on the 24th of June last year. There were people walking around wearing T-shirts that said the 24th of June 2022. So there was a great... Um, enthusiasm, Neil, for uh, the repeal of Roe versus Wade and for the states being able to um, determine what would be, uh, you know, agreed protections for the unborn. Dan, 150,000 marchers uh, at the March for Life in the US. Uh, How do you describe the mood of the people? Because, you know, sometimes... You have rallies and, uh, you know, uh, I think our rallies in Australia, pro-life rallies, are usually fairly peaceful. Was it a peaceful march? Mm. There's a, was there a sort of a militancy uh, in the crowd? Uh, how do you describe the mood of, of those who were there uh, for the march? 
Uh, no, I don't think there, there was any militancy. I think there was a lot of, uh, probably a sense of prayerfulness, to be honest. Um, uh, a lot of very devout uh, people there. Uh, a, lot of, uh, a lot of leadership provided by the Catholic Church. Uh, you know, Jonathan Rumi was the, uh, the, the principal guest speaker. Uh, and, um, you know, so there was just a very strong um, um, sense of unity there, probably led by the Catholics. Um, you know, uh, Reverend, Reverend Franklin Graham also participated. Uh, you know, so it wasn't, it, it was across the denominations, but uh, very prayerful, I would say, and, and uh, uh, very energised. So, um, of course, this was the first march since the repeal of Roe versus Wade. So I suppose in a post-Roe world, uh, you know, it could be said, okay, well, the pro-life movement has achieved their their purpose. Their goal in life was to repeal Roe versus Wade and they organised immediately after that initial decision was was um, decided. So, uh, you know, a great chance for celebration and there was some of that, but the overriding message was we're not done yet. Uh, that we have to make abortion not only illegal but unthinkable. Dan, if we were contrasting our own abortion laws in Australia with those abortion laws in the US, because as you describe the overturning of Roe versus Wade, it took it out of the federal jurisdiction overall for the, all of the United States and put that responsibility back into the hands of the states. And uh, remember what we were saying at the time, that's sort of the way that it has been in Australia, but there's some moves that are on right now uh, that are trying to federalise some ways of looking at abortion here in Australia. If you're making a contrast, a comparison between the two, how are things looking? Uh, yeah, it's a good, it's a good uh, way of looking at it all. Um, I think the truth is the it has gone back to the states for regulation, and they are regulating in, in the US. We'll talk about there first. So in Texas, for example, there's a heartbeat law, and um, you know once a heartbeat beat is detected, uh, abortion is illegal. So in the last few months, uh, the abortion rate has dropped dramatically. Uh, you know, different estimates between sixty and ninety percent. So. Um, uh, the states are making helpful protections, um, but um, there is still a strong argument that uh, the federal Congress has work to do uh, because of there's an argument based on the 14th Amendment that they should protect life, and where a state fails to provide provide protection, uh, the Commonwealth or the federal in the US should protect. So uh, yeah, we see. In Australia, the uh, the states uh, are legislating in relation to abortion. They do it pretty badly, to be honest, Neil, because most of the states are abortion on demand. You know, you, you see a scenario where, say, in Victoria, abortion up to 24 weeks for no reason and abortion post-24 weeks for any reason. So it's, you know, abortion on demand is the norm in Australia. Um, and to pick up your point you know, federal politicians have uh, oh well with Roe versus Wade uh, being overturned in the US. Australian abortion rights are under threat. Let's do something. Let's protect abortion uh, from a federal level. And there, there is currently an inquiry on to achieve just that. So uh, Roe versus Wade has um, 
had the impact, I think, in Australia of uh, creating on the left side of politics a movement to uh, make sure that abortion is never limited, whereas in the US it has, um, it has immediately uh, made abortion more limited because a lot of laws like the Texas law were in place, but they were ineffective or in, you know, couldn't operate because of Roe versus Wade. As soon as Roe versus Wade is lifted, all of these state restrictions uh, are now in force. Uh, so, and culturally, I think we're very different approach to abortion, Neil. Uh, in the US, I think there's uh, a lot of people are very uncomfortable with abortion at the later stages, and that's why the states have, you know, 15-week, 20-week, heartbeat, um, all sorts of uh, graduations on the scale. Whereas in Australia, the left uh, uh, have led the discussion on this and the view of the Labor Party essentially is abortion on demand should never be interfered with. And that uh, is a dominant narrative, uh, but it's not so dominant in the US. Um, the other point I'd make, Neil, is that um, uh, Republican um, legislators, senators and congressmen uh, are very pro-life, pass pro-life legislation. Uh, we'll all remember the fuss before Kevin McCarthy became Speaker, how hard it was to select one. And he was eventually selected on the 7th of January. Well, the very first pieces of legislation were pro-life legislation in the Congress. Uh, one was a Babies Born Alive bill, um, very similar to the George Christensen Australian uh, model. Uh, another one was uh, to call on President Biden to condemn attacks on pro-life centres and churches, and there were Molotov cocktails and burnings of, um, uh, you know, uh, pro-life advocacy, advocacy groups. Um, but the Biden administration looked the other way. So the the first two bills uh, in the in the Congress related to pro-life issues. And that's because to be pro-life is quite uh, mainstream in the Republican Party. And sadly, that's not mainstream in the Liberal Party. And, you know, you contrast with, say, Bernie Finn, a pro-life um, lawmaker in Victoria, uh, when he, you know, utters a pro-life sentiment, um, then he's kicked out of the party because it's off message. So um, the Liberal Party here is very... Uh, shy on pro-life issues. The Liberal Party um, members of Parliament who are pro-life are basically muted for fear of reprisal from the Liberal Party. Um, so fortunately for the US, uh, being pro-life is a very mainstream uh, Republican position. Well, as a Christian, Dan, uh, we might hope, uh, we might pray that a pro-life position becomes mainstream. And I picked up a quote from that March for Life that you attended and from the Congressional Pro-Life Caucus, a guy named Chris Smith, who said, future generations will someday look back on us and wonder how and why a society that bragged about its commitment to human rights could have legally sanctioned and aggressively promoted, now I apologise to some listeners here, League aggressively promoted child beheadings, dismemberment, chemical poisoning and forced expulsion from the womb. 
And as uncomfortable it is to hear words like that, this is the reality of abortion. So being mainstream pro-life, and as you say, there are those proponents of, say, a born alive bill and those who are pro-life in some sections in our political system. Uh, these things ought to be mainstream, Dan. And I know that there's a march coming up in South Australia uh, Martin Isles is going to be a guest speaker there. It's coming up on the f- the 11th of February. It's called the Walk for Life in Adelaide. Uh, any thoughts here about, you know, Adelaide listeners getting involved in that one? Well, well, absolutely. And, you know, the most uh, important piece of advocacy that any uh, South Australian person can do in that week uh, is to actually go to that march, uh, to get the pram out, get the children out, go to the march, listen to the speeches, participate because uh, the presence of numbers uh, communicates so much to members of parliament and they will see uh, these numbers, they'll reflect deeply and uh, there is no doubt that the success of the US, uh, the, the um, repeal of Roe versus Wade uh, was so much uh, as a result of the large numbers. It's interesting you mentioned Congressman Mike Smith um, who referenced his speech at the March for Life. I was fortunate to meet him uh, at a small reception afterwards. And he is uh, from Pennsylvania and he is seeking to bring a, a heartbeat law uh, into the, um, the federal Congress. So to make a national minimum standard uh, that uh, where there's a heartbeat, there can be no abortion. Because in, in say... Um, a number of states, are there there are no protections for the unborn. So he's saying that, you know, um, referencing the uh, very detailed um, uh, and kind of um, graphic words you used, uh, when a heartbeat is detected, these abortions should stop. Um, but uh, while uh, uh, that bill may actually pass the Congress because the Republicans control it, uh, it won't become law because the Senate is controlled by the Republicans, um, uh, led by Chuck Schumer, and President Joe Biden is not going to sign um, uh, any pro-life legislation into law. So uh, some of these bills are messaging bills, uh, and uh, the pro-life movement looks forward to the uh, you know uh, the, the, the next elections in two years' time. But yes, uh, by all means. Uh, South Australians uh, do everything you can to get to this march. And if you come from, you know, Western Victoria, uh, you know, Hamilton, Horsham, uh, cross the border and head over there and uh, join that march. It's a reminder, isn't it, that change doesn't happen in an instant or on a whim. There's a lot of hard work uh, that goes into change. And if you had a good goal like that, a heartbeat law as a national standard, uh, that could be a great place to start. And so uh, for listeners who are interested, and especially Adelaide listeners, and as you say, uh, Dan, there's people who are close to Adelaide that uh, might be within a day's drive, might like to be uh, there as a part of the Adelaide Walk for Life. 
As you say, Martin Isles is going to be one of the speakers there. They had 3,000 who marched last year. Here's how you can get some details. Loveadelaide.org.au. That's the coordinating website. Loveadelaide.org.au for Adelaide's Walk for Life. Hey, uh, running out of time now, but uh, some other things that are going on, especially the New South Wales state election, uh, the date closing in on us fairly quickly, 25th of March. Uh, does the ACL have some special initiatives that we ought to be looking out for? Well, absolutely. You know, the uh, uh, Liberal Labor, uh, you know, both parties, um, uh, I suppose, offer certain promises and disappoint in different ways. Um I think uh, where we as the ACL feel that a big difference can be made is in the upper house. And we look to, uh, uh, you know, the possibility that perhaps somebody like a Lyle Shelton uh, could be uh, elected to the upper house. And he's not the only one in that sort of uh, independent uh, category. Um, And um, if the upper house can be a firewall to bad legislation, uh, that would be great. Um, and, you know, um, uh, yes, Dominic Perrottet is doing a good job at a certain level, but under the uh, Liberal government, uh, there have been some very bad laws uh, uh, that have passed. Uh, abortion and euthanasia have both passed under a Liberal government uh, in New South Wales. So, um, uh, you know, that's, that's something that's, that's discouraging in many respects. And so... Um, uh, if it remains liberal, we'll probably see more of that. We'll probably uh, have to deal with uh, conversion ther- therapy type legislation. We'll probably go through under a liberal government unless there is the preservative effect of um, a good upper house. Uh, so uh, we also note that Mark Latham uh, uh, will be running uh, in One Nation. He's brilliant on uh, conversion therapy, on, on the sort of sensible notions of um, gender and protecting children in schools from gender-fluid teaching. Mark Latham is, is resigning his seat uh, to, and re- replacing himself with somebody else, uh, and I think that may have already happened, so that he can now run uh, and be an additional One Nation uh, candidate. So uh, people like Lyle Shelton, Mark Latham, are looking for others, but we think the principal issue in this election is the firewalling in the upper house. Isn't it amazing when you look at the context of what's happening and as you're describing those movements and uh, who will stand up and be a voice uh, for what many say is common sense, uh, we'll call them Christian values, uh, but you've got Fred Nile whose career in the New South Wales upper house is coming to an end and uh, as you say, there are independents uh, who are backed by parties, but parties that don't have a, uh, a specific... Um, they're not uh, registered with the Australian Electoral Commission for uh, the election yeah. that's coming up. So that's why there's uh, some of those candidates who are going to be independents. So uh, we're likely to be talking a fair bit about independence uh, in the lead-up to the New South Wales state election because uh, with the void that's going to be left there in the upper house, it's almost... Mm. Critical, crucial, isn't it, to have some Christian uh, insight that comes into that upper house uh, in New South Wales. It's going to be an important one, Dan. Absolutely, absolutely. And we've, um, you know, we've seen from Mark Latham, who doesn't 
uh, professed to be a Christian, perhaps some of the best defence of uh, Christianity there. Uh, I understand that Lyle Shelburne, he's a, the leader of Family First nationally, but they couldn't be registered in time in New South Wales, so that's why he'll run as an independent. Uh, and, um, uh, yeah, the, these are, I think, the spots to watch. If you, four or five uh, good, solid, uh, pro-life Christian people could be in the upper house, uh, I think that'll provide uh, some good good governance, if you like, and some good uh, restraint uh, on uh, either a re-elected Liberal government or a Labor government. Well, Dan Flynn, time has run out. Uh, always good getting your insights. Thanks so much Thank for that, you. and uh, glad you returned home to us safely. It's a big year ahead, and uh, excited Absolutely. about the initiatives of the Australian Christian Lobby. It'll be important, and with that New South Wales state election that's coming up, there'll be a special website, and uh, listeners no doubt can get a link to uh, the New South Wales Votes website on the Australian Christian Lobby website, acl.org.au. Dan Flynn, thanks so much for your update today on 2020. That's my pleasure. Thank you, Neil. God bless. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.